Good morning. Um, if you don't know me, my name's Al Pickering. As uh, Jeff has said, I'm one of the leaders here at King's. Um, we're going to look together at the Bible and continue our series from the book of James. Let me pray just before I start. Father God, thank you that you're speaking, God. Thank you that we've been um, hearing you speak about some specific things and specific encouragements for us this morning. Thank you that you, you speak most of all through your written word, the Bible. And we pray, Lord, that it would come alive for us this morning as we look at it together, as it has done for Christians down the centuries. Please, will you speak to us this morning as we go on uh, looking at James. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, who are you listening to for direction in life? A few years ago, it was uh, reported in the Daily Mail, a little story, you might have heard it, um, about a driver who was listening to his sat-nav and ran into a few problems. This is, uh, I'll just read out what the, the report, it said, a shocked driver is today facing um, a careless driving charge after his sat-nav left his BMW teetering on the edge of a cliff. Robert Jones said he trusted the gadget and continued to follow its instructions, even when it took him up a steep, narrow footpath. He only realized something was wrong when his car hit a fence and came to a stop just inches from a 100-foot drop. The 43-year-old, who works as a delivery driver, described the incident as a nightmare. He said, it kept insisting the path was a road, even as it was getting narrower and steeper, so I just trusted it. I rely on my sat-nav. I couldn't do it without it for my job. I guess I'm lucky the car didn't slip all the way over the edge. You don't expect to be taken nearly over a cliff. No, you don't, do you? Don't trust, don't trust the sat-nav. But it's important, isn't it, to be listening to the right voice, the right person, uh, the right source when it comes to direction and instructions for life. And we're continuing a series from the book of James in the New Testament, which we're calling A God-Centered Life. And it's related originally to early Christians, but it's still for us today. And it's all about practically what difference does it make on the ground day to day to be a Christian, to, to have come to know God through faith in Jesus, what difference does it make in everyday life? And we've looked at a couple of bits so far. Uh, we've thought about life with God at the center helps us handle tough times, tough circumstances in life because we know that God is using them to make us mature and he's going to give us the wisdom to get through them. We've also thought about a God-centered life, a life where God is a fixed point and everything else revolves around it. It makes a difference to how we handle our desires, particularly desires to do things that God has said, don't do them. For our own good, he said, don't do this. And we think, no, I want to do it. It's going to make me happy. When in fact, God says, no, it's going to do you harm. It's going to separate you from me. And we've been thinking about how to handle those things and how to look to God for happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction. And uh, if you went around those weeks, you can listen on our website and the media section uh, to either of those talks. But this morning, we're thinking about how does a God-centered life affect our listening? Now, by the way, you, you might be here this morning as someone who, who would say, you know, I'm not yet a Christian. Um, 
I'm not, I wouldn't say I was living a God-centered life. Well, you're really welcome here. This talk is definitely for you as well. But just, just hope this is an encouragement to you, uh, just to see, maybe get a bit of an insight. What is a Christian life like? And hopefully maybe it's an encouragement for you to consider having a God-centered life and what that would mean. But for all of us, who are we listening to for guidance and direction in life? Are we listening to ourselves? Listen to your heart? Isn't that what uh, some of the songs say? Or what about other people's opinions? Maybe that's what really matters to us. Maybe we, we listen to the websites. I do my research. I find out where to get the best washing machine. But also I, I go on the web for everything really. To, so I'm, not, I'm, I'm just imagining a person saying this. This isn't actually me. So it sound like it was me. Um, yeah, is that, is that you? I get, my, I get my advice, my direction from the internet. But at the heart, what we're going to think about this morning is the heart of a God-centered life is listening to God. And when someone has a new relationship with God through faith in Jesus, it leads to a new relationship with the Bible. The Bible as God's written words. And I've called this morning, Listen Up. At the end of last week's section uh, in James, in James 1.18, should be coming up on the screen, we read this verse about God. It said, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. What's going on when someone becomes a Christian? Are they starting a new hobby? Are they joining a new club? No, the Bible says something much more amazing is happening. An amazing transformation is going on. Perhaps a lot of it behind the scenes. God is using his word, the Bible, to bring them to birth. Whenever anyone becomes a Christian, God, through his Holy Spirit, takes what his word, the word of truth, says about God, about them, about where they stand before God, about their life, about Jesus, And he brings it home to them. He applies it to them. He causes them to believe it's true and to trust in what God is saying and trust God to live a new life with him at the center. And that verse there says that as God does all of this, it's so that we might become a kind of first fruits of all he created. Well, what is that talking about? First fruits? Back in the Old Testament part of the Bible... When the people of Israel had a harvest of crops, part of that harvest was to be what was called the first fruits. It was the first and best bit of the harvest that they were to give completely to God. Not the kind of rubbish bit, you know, before the plants really get growing properly. This was the really good stuff. Not all of it, but it was the first bit that they gave completely to God. They didn't eat it themselves. They didn't take it away. They didn't sell it. It was totally dedicated to God. And so you can see what James is saying here. When someone comes to new birth as a Christian, through God bringing his word home to their hearts, then they are to give themselves completely to God. And it means a new relationship with God's words in the Bible. It means a new approach to getting direction and who you listen to for where your life is going, how you solve problems, what you do with uh, what I'm going to do next, how I'm going to handle how I feel about things, and what I desire to do. We're going to look at three things from James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. It's coming up on the screen. Some of you might like to turn to it if you've got it a Bible in front of you. James chapter 1, verse 19. 
My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So what does listening to God's word look like? Well, the first thing we see, it's, it's being quick to listen and slow to anger. Quick to listen and slow to anger. And in the first instance, we're not talking about listening to God. We're talking about how we relate to other people. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You probably heard it said, you've got two ears and one mouth Use them in those proportions. It's very helpful advice, isn't it? And uh, maybe you could say you heard it first in the Bible. Pretty similar advice here in the Bible. But it's not just a tip about how to get on with other people that you may or may not like to follow if it suits you. It says, be quick to listen, slow to anger. Verse 20, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. How we treat people, maybe shown in how we, we don't bother to try and listen to them, understand what they're saying, maybe we speak hastily, we get angry. It matters to God. It matters to God how we treat other people who God has made and who he loves. And it doesn't fit with a God-centered, God-honoring life. To be someone who doesn't listen and he gets angry. What do you like at listening I mean listening hard, listening to appreciate what the other person is saying. I don't mean, by listening, I don't mean that pause um, when you're not saying anything because you're thinking of the next thing to say regardless of what the other person is saying. But how easy do you get angry? Well, you might say, well, it's, it's right anger though. It's right, oh no, I, I never get angry at wrong things. I get angrier when there's any, been an injustice or when something is totally unreasonable with my boss and my neighbor and my mum and my children. They're, they're so infuriating. But I'm quite challenged by these words in verse 20. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now, there must be such a thing as righteous anger, right anger. The Bible talks about God in all his perfection. He's angry at evil and sin and injustice. And the Bible does acknowledge that it is possible to 
to be angry but not sin. But actually the main message that comes here from the Bible is don't get anger. Get rid of anger. And that's what James is saying. Probably because the majority of human anger is not good. I think if you're honest with yourself, if I'm honest with myself, I'll know most of the time when I get angry, it's not right. It's not for good reasons. Jesus said, I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgments. Is God speaking to you about anger this morning? It's not, it's not too late to do anything about it. God's not finished with you. Ask God for help. Ask God for forgiveness. But I think there's more going on here than how we listen to people and we get angry with them. Because James goes on to say, verse 21, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Get rid of your anger. Get rid of whatever other sin might be holding you back. And in your life, humble yourself to listen to and accept what God is saying. What's the connection? Well, imagine I'm someone who, who knows everything. I don't know if you know anyone like that. They know everything. Um, it's great to have those people around. They know it all, and they never want to listen to what anyone else has got to say. Imagine I'm like that. I never want to listen to what anyone else has got to say. Then I open up the Bible. Can I just switch off that kind of attitude of never wanting to listen to what anyone else has got to say to me and about my life? The chances are it's going to continue through to my attitude to listening to God and his direction for my life. I'm going to carry it into my own Bible reading, and I carry it into my small group Bible studying, and I carry it into sitting here on a Sunday morning. Be quick to listen to others and be quick to listen to God. Are you all ears for what God has got to say for you, say to you? And even if he's coming with correction into your life. Imagine, on the other hand, I'm an angry person. I'm constantly angry about what people have said. That program on the TV, you know, you know these people, they, they sit there and every TV program that comes on, they've got something to say about it, just annoys them. Um, you know, and then be, I'm angry about what's in the newspaper as well, and you never get what, guess what so-and-so said, it just made me so mad. And I open up the Bible, am I just going to switch off that kind of attitude that gets angry at everyone else's opinions? Or am I just going to end up getting angry with God when I find something in the Bible that, that either I don't understand, or actually I do understand, but God's ways are different from mine, and God's wisdom is better than mine, and, um, but I can't hear it because I just get angry. Have you ever heard of someone who gets really angry who is also a good listener? It just doesn't really go together, does it? James says, humbly accept the word planted in you. So God-centered life is one that's quick to listen and slow to anger when it comes to God's word. And God's word says, watch how you listen to. Listen and speak to and get angry with other people. But what does good listening to God's word look like? Well, second thing, it means to listen carefully and then do it. Listen carefully and then do it. 
Verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now, listening is a great start, but you've, you've got to act on what you've heard. I'm always encouraged when I come across parents, maybe out in a town, or, uh, who are having maybe more trouble than me with their kids. It kind of encourages me. Uh, and uh, occasionally you hear parents saying something, you think, that's what I say. And I was uh, walking across the uh, Aldi car park the other week, and, um, or was it Aldi? I, I can never, I always get mixed up. Anyway, I was walking across the, uh, that car park, and um, there was a woman there with two boys, and she said something like to them as I was walking across, why do I feel like I say the same things over and over again and no one's listening? And I nearly went over and, and said, I feel exactly the same. <laughs> but what this woman meant was not that her boys hadn't heard what she'd said, um, but they weren't listening in a sense that they weren't acting on what she was saying. They weren't doing anything about it. And it's a great start. It's a great start to read the Bible. It's a great start to read the Bible regularly, um, maybe getting some resources to help you understand what you're reading and get some kind of system going, working out what to read when. It's great that you're here this morning listening to the book of James and uh, our series. Maybe you're, maybe you're somewhere else listening to the recording of my voice uh, coming out of the headphones. But is it going to make any difference to you? What are you going to do if you feel this morning there's something that you need to act on? What if you go away? It seems really important to you while you're sitting here, and then you go away and you forget about it. Well, James uses this brilliant image of someone looking in a mirror. Verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Is, is the issue here that I really cannot remember what I look like? And it's so important I have in my mind an exact image of what I look like all the time. No, no, this is, this is to do with what he's been saying earlier. It's to do with looking. So the parallel is looking at the Bible and doing something about it when we read something. Here it's looking at the, in a mirror, seeing that there's something that needs attention and not doing anything about it. Now, I don't imagine we've got many people here this morning who look in mirrors. In fact, you probably haven't got any mirrors at home or anything like that. I have a good excuse. I need to look in the mirror regularly since I've got this beard. Um, you just never, these really sneaky, these beards. You never know when they're going to try and pull a fast one. And, uh, you know, they're little bits of food. They like to sort of collect them up. Um, you know, and imagine I'm looking in the mirror. I'm looking in the mirror, and I'm like, goodness me. It's like lunchtime. I haven't had a good chance to sort of, you know, do the proper grooming that morning. I'm looking in the mirror. There's a piece of boiled egg in the beard. Oh, no. I've been going around all morning with it like that. And in fact, look, look up there. There's some shampoo that's not properly rinsed out, and it's, it's a bit crusty in my hair. And, and actually, my teeth... What was I thinking? I wasn't concentrating. There's a bit of spinach like in my front, stuck in my front teeth from last night even. And to top it all, there's a big spot coming on my forehead. Well, 
Imagine if the mirror had revealed all of those things and then I'd go away and I just don't do anything about it. No, I need to put right what the mirror has shown up. Not to kid myself, no, actually, I look great. Uh, Nor to think, hmm, I really ought to do something about this sometime and then go away and not do anything about it. No, it's to look carefully and do something about it. And I'm sure you can all relate to that. And it's the same if you want to live a God-centered life as a Christian. James says you're deceiving yourself if you listen to God's word and you don't do what it says. And I think that James had chosen this mirror illustration not just because it'd be a familiar thing. I don't know how many people had mirrors in those days. It would have been like a piece of polished metal. Perhaps not so good as the, the mirrors we have today. But it's not just about being a familiar scenario of someone doing something and forgetting about something. When we read the Bible and God speaks, and God who sees us and knows us better than we know ourselves, he reveals things about us. We read a bit of the Bible that clearly wasn't written just for us. And we think, gosh, God is speaking to me. God is pointing out something in my life that needs to change. I heard that bit about anger earlier on. Maybe for some of you, it was like in the Bible or on the screen. There was a mirror and you saw yourself. And you thought, gosh, that's me. God is wanting to, me to do something about my anger problem. It could be something else. But if you're a Christian and you want to live a God-centered life, how are you going to make sure that you don't forget what God is flagging up for attention in his words? I suppose just speaking personally, one of the things I, I like to try and do um, with Sunday sermons, I mean, I find it so easy um, to forget. I mean, I mean it's, it's normally me listening to Rich, isn't it, rather than me up here. That's the most likely scenario, but so often I just forget what's been said. You know, at the time I thought, yes, brilliant, yeah, I'll, oh, I'll do something about that. I'm, even, I'm, I'm there taking some notes, but it's so easy to just not really do anything about it. I do try and give it a little bit of time, maybe... Sunday afternoon, maybe the next day, just to read the passage again, to look at any notes that I took, just spend at least a minute or two praying about it, you know, just thinking, God, is there something that you want me to do about this, rather than just go back to what I was reading in the Bible before the weekends? Um, I find it helpful to take notes. Not everyone does. It might totally ruin it for you if you're trying to take notes while you're listening, but, you know, maybe you could just find a way of just jotting down something to remind you of something maybe God is saying that needs some attention, some praying into later on. I mean, you've got to be careful, haven't you? You know, you could have a sheet and just write in big letters like anger. And the person, or lust. You know, the person next to you is, uh, right. Um, but, you know, what is your way? What is going to be your way? How are you going to take responsibility to make sure that you put things right, that God is bringing up and bringing to attention through his word? Um, the connect sheet. We have the connect sheet. Just it's always worth saying the connect sheet is not just for small groups. Small groups, if you don't know, small groups is a midweek group that we have where people get together for friendship, looking at the Bible together, praying for one another, social things. Um, if you would like to be in a small group and you're not, uh, do speak to me or Chris or Rich or Jeff if you want to know more about small groups. But this connect sheet. Is a, is a help, if it's nothing else, it's a helpful way of thinking about what was God saying on Sunday. It has some questions about this, 
This is what I'm saying this morning. And then a related bit of the Bible that hopefully takes it a bit further. Do, do have a look at this on your own. Even if you're not in a small group or you're not going this week, hopefully it's just, it's just a way you might find it helpful to not forget what God has said and what he wants you to do about it. But I guess often the problem, perhaps often the problem for me, it, it's not that I, I have trouble finding a system for remembering what has been said. It's actually that I think it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult to do anything about this. So maybe if it's really important, I'll trust God to bring it up again sometime. Uh, maybe what's been raised is going to cost me some money. Maybe it's going to cost me some of my time. Maybe it's going to mean I'm going to have to stop doing something which actually I quite enjoy. Or maybe I'm going to have to start doing something which is a bit out of my comfort zone. Why is it worth it? Why is it worth it to listen to and act on God's word? We're going to think lastly about experiencing the benefits, the blessings and benefits. There are benefits to listening to, to to making the effort, to to going through the cost of listening to and obeying what God says. So verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. We'll come back to that verse in a second, but I just want to look at the last two verses, verse 26 and 27. Those who consider themselves religious and do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And James used a couple of words uh, there translated as re- religion and religious. They're just really general words for worship, uh, usually related to maybe some kind of ceremonies involved in worshiping gods. But the point of what he's saying is that you can be doing the outward things about worshiping God. You could be in a traditional church. You could be in an informal church a little bit more like this one but you can be going through the motions and doing the outward stuff looking like you're you're there with your heart worshiping God but you're not living out that life centered on God centered on obeying him it's hollow worship it's hollow religion as James would say it can't be genuine he talks about watching your tongue James mentions a couple of different things here which are going to be covered in more detail as we go on through the letter. So we're not going to talk about them much now. Watching your tongue, watching your speech. We'll come to that in more detail in chapter 3. But a benefit of getting serious about listening to God's word, knowing that you do actually make changes, you want to make changes if God flags things up. It's a sign that you do genuinely know God. And... It's not wrong, the Bible says, it's not wrong to want assurance that we really do know God. And one of the things the Bible does point us to in various places is to say, are you living this kind of life? Well, that is a good sign. By God's grace, if you're living a a life that wants to honor him, that's a good sign. Keep going. Keep at it. Be assured that that's a great sign that you know God. The Bible doesn't offer any assurance at all. For someone who says, I'm a Christian, and I'm no interest in doing what God says. In fact, Jesus says, Jesus talks about a scenario, and it's uh, one of the connect sheet 
passages you can maybe look at this week. It talks about a scenario where Jesus will say to people who, who, who really weren't doing what he said. He said, Lord, Lord, but don't do what he says. He, he'll say to them, I don't know you when they meet him, and he'll send them away. But there are other benefits too. Benefits of God's blessing in other people's lives as well as we obey what God has said. So verse 27, it talks about something we'll be covering a bit more in the next chapter, caring for the poor, caring for people in need. God says loads about that in the Bible. If you, if you miss it, you can't have read the Bible. Uh, is there some way in which you can say, hand on heart, I, I care about people in need. I care about the poor. I'm doing something. I'm obeying God in this area. Well, if you are, God says, this is a sign of genuine Christianity. It's benefiting those who God cares about and that we should care about as well. Well, it all sounds like a lot of work, this business of putting into practice what God has said. There's a lot to remember. It's maybe going to cost me. Is it all worth it? Let's just look last at verse 25. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom... And continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. You might have noticed there, James is not changing the subject. He's still talking about the same things, but he's substituted a different expression for the word, for the word of truth. He calls it the perfect law that gives freedom. He's talking about the same thing. But this description just brings out another side to it. Imagine you were to go into Lewis Town Centre and you do a little survey asking the question, do you think the Bible is perfect and do you think the Bible brings freedom? I don't know how, apart from this, someone's already a Christian, it's very likely that the majority of people would say, no, I, I don't believe that. I believe that the Bible is a a flawed book. It's full of mistakes. um, And it brings restrictions. What would you say to that? Now, some objections to the Bible, uh, you'd be able to work out that someone's misunderstood what it's saying. But for other objections to what the Bible says, it comes down to it's basically a culture clash. The Bible says something that doesn't fit with what people generally think these days. The Christian author Tim Keller and church leader, he says some great stuff about this kind of thing. And I heard him saying that basically we need to know that just because the Bible clashes with our culture, that is not a proof that it's not from God. Let's imagine this. Imagine a culture, I'm sure that this would apply to some perhaps in the world today, but certainly in the past, Imagine a culture where the family was all important, where the stability of the family was all important. The individual didn't matter so much. It was all about the family. That was really the only way to get on in that society was to be part of a a secure, stable family. But also in that culture, there were people who had seen their own family members brutally murdered before their very eyes. Give them a Bible. I imagine you would find that when they read the Bible's teaching about sex, that it's, it's God's design, that it's just for within marriage between one man and one woman. 
they would think that's a good thing. That's a good thing that fits with their culture, that fits with what they think is important. But they would be offended by the Bible's teaching on forgiveness. Think, how can you expect me to forgive people who've murdered my family members? You see, it would probably be the other way around, actually, in our culture. People would be, think the Bible's teaching on forgiveness is brilliant, and the Bible's teaching on sex, not so good. So a clash doesn't prove that the Bible is not from God. In fact, if God is speaking from outside of every culture and into every culture, you'd expect what he says to clash at some point with what every society thinks is important. The issue is, do we trust God? Do we trust that obeying him leads to freedom? Or do we think it leads to restrictions? Well, I've um, I brought along another book this morning. It's not my Bible, although fully at a distance it looks a bit like it. It's, uh, it's the manual that came in my car, actually. Uh, it's got the VW badge on it. And it talks about all sorts of things. It talks about how often I should get the car serviced at the garage. It talks about um, if, the, if the oil level drops below a certain level, you know, you need to put some oil in the car. And uh, when the headlamps blow, you've got to replace them with these bulbs in this kind of way. And I suppose there's two approaches I could take to this manual. I could say, do you know what? I don't like this. This is bringing restrictions into my life. It actually offends me. I mean, do you think I'm stupid? VW, do you think I'm stupid that I can't decide what to do when my headlamps blow? And I don't want to spend money on oil. I don't want anyone telling me I've got to spend money on oil. I mean, what are you going to do? Come and make me. Come make me buy some oil. No, I'm not going to put any oil in. Well, I might put some water in. I'll just do what I feel is best. It's my car. I paid for it. I'll make the decisions. The other approach, of course, the approach that I generally take with the, with the car, I take this manual and I think, look at the badge. Look at the badge. VW. It's come from Volkswagen. They made the car. Surely they have got some sense to speak about what is the best way of using the car. I want to get the most out of my car. I want the freedom to be able to drive um, wherever I want to go. And so I'm going to follow the book because I don't want it to break down because I want to stay safe. Because I want to be able to see when I'm driving in the dark. Which of those two approaches to these instructions from Volkswagen brings freedom and blessing and benefit? See, for the car, true freedom, true freedom for my car and true freedom for me as a driver comes when the car is operating within the boundaries which it was designed for. Now, you could say, no, no, I want to be totally free with my car. I'm going to go to France. I'm going to drive down to New Haven. I'm not going to use the ferry. I'm going to drive across the sea to France. It's going to be a disaster. That isn't freedom. That's disaster. And God's word in the Bible brings freedom. Not freedom to do anything we like. That's not real freedom. That leads to disaster. It's freedom to live life as God intended it to be. By our designer God, a loving Father who cares for us. It's, it's, it's the right way to live. It's what we were designed for. Life with God at the center of knowing him and loving him. Having his purpose and power in our lives.
Now, it is difficult to follow this manual at times. We're probably all aware of times when we've got it wrong. But the good news is there is someone. There's someone who obeyed all of God's instructions perfectly during his life on earth. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, when he died on the cross, he took the punishment for the times that we've strayed from the manual. We've accidentally or deliberately said, no, I'll do it my way. Jesus didn't stay dead, but he rose to a new life which he wants to share with us. And as we, just keeping the car metaphor going, hand over the keys of our life to Jesus. Ask him for forgiveness, a new start. Let him get into the driving seat. See what I did there? Um, Then actually God will be there. God will be there through his Holy Spirit helping us. Whatever the twists and turns, the bumps in life are, he will be with us and we will know we've got a life revolving around the one who made us and who knows how life is supposed to work. So who are you looking for, looking to for uh, guidance and direction in life? Are you listening up? Are you listening up? Are you listening to God? Listen to God's word. Listen to God's wisdom. If, if you've never tried, to be honest, if you're here this morning, you think, I've never tried living life God's way. I've never tried following any of God's wisdom in terms of getting to know God and living life God's way. Why not give it a try? Many people here would say, I'm, would say it, it actually works. It's not just that we believe it's true, even though it doesn't make any sense at all. No, we find actually life works. Life works better doing things with God at the center. So let's be quick. Let's be quick to listen, not getting angry. Let's be quick to want to have all ears for what God has got to say. And let's experience these blessings of a God-centered life as we put into practice what God says to us in his word with his help. Well, let me, let me pray. Father, we do thank you that this great gift uh, you've given us in speaking to us. Lord, thank you for the way you've spoken to Christians down the centuries through your word. Lord, you've spoken to people who are not Christians, Lord, and, and they became uh, your followers, your, your children. Lord, we pray, help us in this difficult task of listening to what you say and doing it. We pray we know your grace, your help, Lord, for when we make mistakes, your forgiveness, and your help to pick ourselves up and keep going in listening and doing what you say. Lord, we pray we might experience the blessings of doing that, even this week, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the bands are going to come, come back, and we're just going to, just to sort of finish this morning, have an opportunity to just focus again on God. Maybe as we're singing, I guess one of the things that we do here in this church is no one's looking around to check, are you singing every word of every song? You can pause. You can pause to pray. Uh, you can sit down during a song. You can just use the worship time as a time to speak to God and respond to him. So uh, Jonathan's going to lead.